0: We are one week away from the end of the book of Mark, all right? We began the book of Mark in January. It is now October. Uh, Fun fact, I I text messaged and emailed about 20 of my uh, pastor, uh, minister friends uh, to talk about the book of Mark with them, and I was asking them a question um, about kind of this section of Mark, near the end of Mark, uh, and one of them responded, my my favorite seminary professor, he's now... I don't know what his job is exactly. so I think he's a provost at Hannibal LaGrange University or something like that. But uh, he, he called me back, and he's talking me through the issue that I'm dealing with in this passage. And he's like, when are you preaching this? And th- I'm talking to him in January. He's like, when are you preaching this? And I was like, well, uh, this, this is going to be about October, I think, whenever I get around to this. And he's like, what am I doing talking to you about something in October? Right? I mean, this is a long time coming for us to get to the end ...of the book of Mark. I hope it's been worthwhile for you. It's been good for me um, to watch Jesus kind of pass, uh, pass through this world day by day. Um, and we've reached um, the end. This is the end of the story of the life of Jesus Christ. It's a difficult story to talk about, um, and it's a familiar story to us because the end of Christ's life is something that is uh, probably the most well-known part of his ministry... Here on earth. Today we're going to read specifically about the crucifixion, the death, and the burial of Jesus Christ. And each of those things, his, his, de- uh, his crucifixion, uh, the suffering on the cross, his death, and his burial is significant to us today. And there's a reason God did things the way he did it. I don't know um, if you've ever wondered, but why did God choose to redeem mankind that way? Like, why, why send Jesus to live on earth? Um, you're God, you can do anything, right? Uh, so why send Jesus to come to earth to live 30 years in relative poverty before air conditioning, right? And, and, and to live here in a dirty world and to die in an absolutely inhumane fashion. Like, is, is there not a better way? Was there not another way? Was there not something that would have been simpler um, for mankind. And um, the short answer to that is no. There wasn't a better way. and There wasn't a simpler way that would have brought about the end result that we needed. God could have started over again. He could have snapped his fingers and made this all gone and restarted again with a new heaven and a new earth and new Adam and new Eve and begun the story again. But to bring broken people like you and like me to salvation... What happened, what we're going to talk about today, had to happen. We're going to see why that is as we look at this passage. If you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, um, I would instruct you where the book of Mark is. It's it's about this far into your Bible. Okay, here's the front of my Bible, here's the back of my Bible. So it's a good ways in there, and we're at the the end of the book, second to last chapter, Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 21. And this is how Mark tells the crucifixion. mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, yet he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe those who were crucified with him also reviled him. It's about 9 a.m. on, uh, on Good Friday. And they, they take Jesus, and Jesus has just been Mercilessly um, scourged and whipped, and his body is broken, um, unable to carry the cross to the place it needs to be for the execution. The way Romans would execute people um, was 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 by a cross. It was a very public way to say, "Don't mess with Rome." And so, outside of the town where everyone would be coming by to get into Jerusalem, um, there was a high point, a, a hill. And they would erect the crosses there so that as you're coming into the town, you would look over and you would know that could be me if I go crosswise with the Roman government. And there were crosses er erected all across uh, the Roman Empire um, for various criminals and people who are are violated um, what Rome wanted um, to have happen. And the way it would work is you would carry your cross there, which is kind of adding insult to injury, right? It would be like making our prisoners carry their own lethal injection doses to the execution chambers. And you would carry your cross um, up, to, up to the place, this high hill, um, so that everyone could see you. And then there would be a crowd that would gather, and that would be their day. Um, and it's tough to imagine, but, I mean, it's, it's really not, right? You pull back our, our lens, you know, 100 years here in America. Uh, and we had public lynchings and things like that. And the crowd would get together and gather around while we'd have a hanging or whatever was going on. And it was a, it was a public event. It was, it was a, something you would do. Um, it's the opposite now, right? We, we tend to do these things in private at midnight at Huntsville in a closed room far away from anything else, right? We try to do it as, as discreetly as possible. But back then, um, public execution was the way to go because it put your stamp as a government that we can do this to him. And we can do it to you if you cross it. So Jesus can't carry his cross. So they find a guy who just happened to be around named Simon. uh, And Simon is from Cyrene. And they say, you carry the cross up there for Jesus. So he carries the cross. Jesus is bound, walking beside this man. And Mark, in this section, more than any other section in all of the book of Mark, gives us a bunch of names of a bunch of people we don't know anything about. Right, Mark is not a guy who used a lot of words. He's actually the shortest gospel. It would be tough to convince you of that after 34 weeks of going through it. But it is the shortest gospel account, the shortest story of the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and, and he tells the story with the fewest amount of words as possible. He's a just the facts sort of guy. I go from this story to this story to this story. But at the end, when he talks about Jesus' death, his crucifixion, his burial, he gives all sorts of extra details. And the purpose for this is because like when Mark wrote this book was like you know 70 AD, they're about 65 AD and all of these people were still alive. Now Simon might have been dead, so he talks about his kids, Alexander and Rufus, right? And the idea is if you have questions about whether or not Jesus really died on a cross, go talk to these two guys here. They watched their dad carry the cross up the hill. For Jesus, so Jesus gets up the hill and, and he's nailed to the cross, and most of us have a picture of what that would look like. Um, but there's a whole um, process that goes in there, and it is a terrible way to die. I don't know if there's a good way to die. I have thought about that in my head before. Like, if I could choose how to die, what would I choose, right? And, and I don't, I don't know if there's a great choice. You know, I've heard the joke, right? You know, when I die, I want to die like my grandfather. Who passed away in his sleep, not like the rest of the family who died screaming in the car, right? Right, I don't, I, I, like, the idea is, like, I, I would like to die uh, somewhat peacefully, but I, I don't really know what that looks like, you know? I don't know exactly how to do that, but I do know this, I'm not taking crucifixion as my way out, right? That's not it, because the way you die in crucifixion is your is your lungs fill up with fluid because you're unable to get a breath, um, and, and, and that's, that's ultimately what kills you, is you Um, asphyxiate, right? You're no longer able to get a breath. Um, And so you're choked out, even though there's all the air in the world around you, because of the way your body is hanging, you can't get a breath um, to satisfy the needs of your body. Terribly painful, takes hours to happen. And then you have things piercing your body on top of that. It's a bad way to go. And Jesus goes up onto the cross, and he's put up there, and they're gambling for his clothes. If you read Psalm 22, that's your homework for uh, this week, by the way. Go home and read Psalm 22. It tells the story of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ um, when King David was still around. It's an interesting way that God pulls all of those things back together. Crucifixion didn't even exist when King David was writing Psalm 22. But if you read Psalm 22 you'll see the crucifixion. Uh, you'll see uh, elements in it. You'll see them gambling for His clothes. You'll see them uh, mocking Him and deriding Him. You'll see uh, all the details of the crucifixion played out right there in front of it. And Jesus goes to the cross for our sake. right? He, and when He goes to the cross, the question is, why does He go there? And the answer is, is, is fairly simple, though fairly complex. Jesus goes to the cross to bear the wrath God God is a God of justice, and when when the justice of God has been crossed, when we violated God's commands, when we lie, cheat, steal, cuss, covet, all the things that we're not supposed to do, God's wrath is kindled against us. If you want to read about the wrath of God, open the Old Testament to any page, stick your finger down, and you can probably see some of the wrath of God poured out. The wrath of God was poured out across the world during the time of Noah when everybody on the world and every animal on the world was destroyed because of the wickedness of mankind save Noah and those who were saved within the ark. Uh, Go forward a little bit and you have the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, two two cities utterly and completely destroyed because of the wrath of God. Watch the conquest uh, of Israel as they take back the promised land and you'll see God's wrath poured out across Israel. Nation after nation, God's wrath was poured out across Israel because they they rebelled against him. I've been reading in my Bible, reading in the book of Jeremiah, and I'll tell you what, Jeremiah talks in great detail about how God's wrath is going to be poured out on the the nation of of, of Judah and Jerusalem because how they've rebelled against God. God is a wrathful God. We don't talk about that a lot on this side. right? We don't talk a lot about the wrath of God because we don't like it. Because there's not a person in here today who doesn't deserve it. God's wrath should be poured out on us, and it's only by the grace of God that right now we're not suffering under the thumb of God's wrath. His wrath was not satisfied until the coming of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus died on the cross, He took all of God's wrath. He took took the total measure of, of the sin of mankind, and he bore the wrath of God. And that is why, on this side of the cross, the wrath of God is satisfied. Right, And a lot of us, we think God is mad at us when we sin, and the truth is, if you know Jesus Christ, God's not mad at you. It's not that he couldn't be mad at you, it's not that you haven't done things that should bring God uh, to righteous wrath, it's that his wrath was satisfied on the cross. Jesus Christ took God's wrath. He took the punishment for sin, and that was a spiritual punishment. There's physical agony that happens on the cross. There's physical torment that happens on the cross, but the real damaging thing to the personhood of Jesus Christ was God's wrath being poured out in a spiritual measure on his heart. Guys, the reason that we stand forgiven is because Jesus stood in our place on the cross of of Calvary. And that is something we celebrate today. That it's not by our good deeds or our righteousness or because we're better than our neighbors that we can call God Father and Friend. It's because Jesus Christ already satisfied God's righteous requirements. And His goodness, Christ's goodness, is given to us and our badness was given to Him and God dumped it all on Jesus, The same God who destroyed the world in a 40-day in a, in a flood, same God who destroyed cities at the snap of a finger, the God who swept across Jericho, the God who swept across Israel, uh, ancient Egypt uh, with the Passover, that same God poured out all of his wrath, not small measures of his wrath, all of his wrath on the person of Jesus Christ. Christ suffered the wrath of God for us and he bore it on his body. And because of that, we stand forgiven. He's not mad at us anymore. Guys, I want you to know, God's not mad at you. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. You may feel guilty about what you've done, where you've been, and what you've seen, and what you've been a part of. But He's not mad at you. His wrath was satisfied on the cross of Jesus Christ. But the story continues on. It says, And then when, dark, uh, when the sixth hour, we're now at like noon, uh, had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So from noon to 3 p.m., the world turned dark around the, the, the cross of Calvary. That's not normal, by the way, right? I mean, noon to 3 p.m. is typically what we would consider to be daytime. Right, But not on this day, not when God's wrath is being poured out. There are supernatural, celestial signs going on here, and everyone around is witnessing it. The crowd who gathered to watch the the crucifixion, the the Romans who are there um, to make sure that no one messes with the bodies, everyone witnesses something is different today. At noon, it turned dark, and that's not right. It's not the way it's supposed to be. So for three hours there was darkness. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Literally the first words of Psalm 22. And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Let's see whether Elijah will come "...and take him down." And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that, it, saw that in this way Jesus had breathed his last, he said, "...truly this man was the Son of God." And there were also women looking on from a distance among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother uh, of James the younger, of Joseph, and of Salome. And when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also uh, many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. So we have this list of names again, again, to say, look, this is a real event. Ask these people, it happened. But what happens is Jesus bore the wrath of God on the cross, and then Jesus died. He died in a fairly unique way, right? He has this, uh, this, this time where he quotes the beginning of Psalm 22, basically saying, you know what that's talking about in Psalm 22? He's identifying it. He's saying, that's my story. Like, I've always thought it was David's story, about he was under persecution, but it's my story. And now here on this side of the cross, we see it. We know it. We understand it. Uh, that Psalm 22 is prophecy pointing forward. It's not saying David was in a bad spot. It's saying Jesus is going to be in this bad spot for our sake. But he didn't just uh, uh, bear the wrath of God on the cross. He suffered death for us. You know, death, according to the Bible, is, is what we earn for sin, right? The wages of sin is death, uh, right? That, that's part of the Roman road. If you've gone through and learned the Roman road, you understand that. Um, it's in the book of Romans. Paul writes, the wages of sin is death. What you get for your sin is death. Jesus, he who had no sin... Bore death for us. It wasn't his death to die. It was yours to die. Death is the undefeated force in all of human nature. It happens to every living thing. We have trees that are a thousand years old. But if this world goes on long enough. If God allows it to happen. That thousand year old tree that seems like it will be here forever. One day will get sick and die. We've got turtles that live for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, You know, what's going to happen one day, that turtle is no longer going to be, you know, scooting along at at .1 miles an hour across the sand anymore. And that same story is true for every person who's ever been here. Death is inevitable. It's the force that comes for all. It's the force that shouldn't have come for Jesus, but he bore death for you. He took what you earned, and he took it, for himself you earned death you earned separation from god you earned those things by your choices when you choose to lie and cuss and steal and covet and all the fun things that we all choose to do day by day that dishonors the name of god christ did none of it none of it yet he died anyways and he died in your place as what's happening on the cross is Jesus takes on the wrath of God and then he very truly dies a death that he did not deserve because you don't need to die like that. right? We talk about eternal life and the idea that God gives eternal life and the only way that we have eternal life is through recognizing that we deserve eternal death. But Christ took that for you. When the wrath of God was satisfied and poured out in full measure on Jesus, and Jesus died the death that He did not deserve, He died in your place. And when He died, He died to cover sin. The thing that is the problem in mankind, the problem that was told about in Genesis chapter 3, the problem that we've seen in our lives, Jesus Christ died and crushed that thing then. Sin is no longer... Uh, this inevitably strong force, because there's something greater that's come and conquered it. Jesus suffered death in our place. But he didn't just pour, uh, get the wrath of God on the cross. He didn't just die on the cross. He was literally buried. Let's read about that in verse 42. It says, And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died and he asked the centurion whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out from the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Okay, so Jesus... Um, dies on the cross after uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And utters this loud cry. The veil of the temple is torn in two. I didn't talk about that, but that's an interesting feature, right? The temple was where God's present presence was, and there were different boundaries in the temple where you could go. So, as a, as as a um, as a Gentile like I am, I could go into this courtyard, and that's a, a big area, um, you know, several acre area that I could wander around in. Uh, and be a part of what's going on in the temple. If I was a, if I was a Jewish person, I could go further in. Uh, if I was a Jewish man, I could go a little bit further in than the Jewish women. Sorry, ladies, that's just the way it is. And if I was a priest, there were sections that I could go into. And then there was this one little section, um, and they were all set off by curtains because walls are difficult to make. And so there was this one little section. Um, that was the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. And only one person could go in there, and he could only go in there one time a year. And that was the high priest, um, the same high priest uh, that, that told Jesus um, that he was a blasphemer and, and deserved to die, who sent Jesus to die um, on the cross when he took Jesus to Pilate, that same guy, Caiaphas, right, is the high priest at this time. One day a year he got to go into that place, and that's where um, historically God's presence was, was, was manifested in a unique and real way. But God, at the death of Jesus Christ, ripped the the curtain in two, from top to bottom. Not from bottom to top. See, I can rip something from bottom to top if it's you know, 40, 40, 40 feet high. You just kind of start here. I've seen the power team, right? And You start here, and then you just kind of keep going, and it, the rip goes up. But it went the other direction. And there's no one up at the top pulling it apart, right? God himself rent the, 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 the temple curtain saying, this boundary line that separates God from mankind has been washed away through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the side point, not really the major thing here. But when Jesus was buried, this guy comes in. He's a member of the Jewish leading council of the Sanhedrin. Joseph of Arimathea, we've never heard of him, just walks up to Pilate and says, Hey, he's dead, and I want to bury him." Pilate's like, He shouldn't be dead already. That's not normal. But sure enough, Jesus was dead. Uh, I love the Wizard of Oz. And you have the little munchkin people, right? And When the, the house falls on the Wicked Witch of the East, uh, at the beginning of the movie... Um, right, You get the, 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 the little munchkin coroner who comes out and says she's very truly dead. Right? There's a song there. It's good, good times. Go watch them when you get home. Right? Um, that's, what, that's what the centurion had to do. Right? He, Pilate's like, is he dead? And the centurion goes over there and he's like, no, he's dead. I, that, I've seen some dead bodies before. That's a dead body. They take the dead body of Jesus Christ. They wrap it up in a linen shroud and Joseph of Arimathea puts Jesus into a grave. You know, graves are weird places. I I do some time in cemeteries, uh, ministering to families. It is a difficult thing, right? We have markers um, for our loved ones, right? People we can go back and visit. And it's a difficult place to say goodbye, right? And and, and, because you know, you go back there, right? And, and, And you see the name, you see your loved one's name and and, and it brings back a lot of the the good times. But it also brings back some of the heartache of the fact that, that this is the only way that y'all can commune together, between you and a, and, a, and a piece of ground, or you and a you and a piece of piece of granite. It hurts. It's tough. It weighs on our hearts to go back to these places, these 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 long, you know, goodbyes that we experience on this side of Earth. Right. Right, one day I'm going to have to bury, if I live long enough, I'm going to have to bury my, my, my father and my mother. And right, that hurts my heart to think about. And then to think that I'm going to live a number of years after that with that void in my life. I, man, that hurts. I hope I die before my wife dies. I really do. Right? She's, she's older than I am, so I'm not sure about that. Those six weeks are a lot, um, but, but she, she lives a healthier life generally than I do. Because I can't imagine, some of y'all are, are, deal with that, right? You walk that path where your, you, your spouse has gone on before you. We have these long goodbyes. And our hearts are already kind of gone. Because something was left, right? When they left us, we, we, we were left kind of incomplete. You know, when Christ went to the grave, right, and and, and there was this... This certainty, this finality of the fact that not only was he dead, the story was over. Guys, it looks like victory for the evil side. It looks like the end. The end of hope. The disciples scatter. right? They, 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 They scatter, they hide, they don't know what to do. But we know it's not really the end of hope. But It's the end of everything that Christ has dealt with. When Christ dealt with the wrath of God, it's the end, not of hope, but it's the end of the wrath of God. We never have to suffer the wrath of God. When Christ deals with death, we know that it's not that death is inevitable. It even took the best of among us. No, it's the end of death. Death isn't coming for us all. There's life on the other side. Of this thing. And when Christ went to the grave, and we see these long goodbyes that go on, it's the end of that. Because you know what we have as believers, guys? We have hope. We have hope that this thing that ends on this side of eternity isn't really the end. Right There is an eternity that goes on beyond this. And while we, while we miss those that go on before us and we, and, we, and we grieve for those, we don't grieve like those who have no hope because we know that Christ already won. Because we know that that grave didn't last long for Jesus Christ. And it wasn't because he wasn't dead. It wasn't because he didn't really do it. It's because death has no hold on him. And fun fact, death has no hold on you if you know Jesus Christ. If you know Christ, if your loved ones know Christ, death has no hold on that person. There is eternity written on their hearts. And we will experience that in glorious and great ways. We celebrate the crucifixion, the death, and the burial of Christ because God's wrath is no longer poured out on us. It is gone. Right, Death is no longer an obstacle to be feared because Christ has beat that too. And the end of things, the goodbyes that hurt for generations don't need to hurt us anymore because our loved ones who are in Christ are in Christ forever. And we will go to be with Christ and them at the end of this thing. Guys, this goodbye is is not the way to think of death anymore. Right. I, I, sometimes I get this at Phillips and Lucky when you have people cross by at the end of a service, and um, you know I heard someone. It was it was it, it, you know it, it stands out to you. I stand close to the casket when they're they're going by, and had someone lean all the way into the casket, whisper into the loved one's ear, "I'm going to see you soon." that's the, that's the facts. Christ died, was buried. So that we can, we can have confidence to know this story doesn't end here. And that's true if you know Jesus Christ. If you don't know Christ today, you need to know Christ today because your story will end differently. Christ did die for the sins of mankind. He did bear the wrath of all sins that have ever been committed. But you have to express faith in Jesus Christ and today, you may need to do that for the first time. Maybe with certainty, you need to say, I am going to, to, to trust Jesus Christ, the one who, who died, the one who was crucified, the one who was buried, and the one who Matt is telling me next week is going to be raised again. I'm going to trust that guy because I don't want to go through this life on my own. You can do that today. I can help you with it during the invitation in a minute. Or you can do it in your heart. You can cry out to Jesus Christ, Lord, save me. I trust that what you did, you did for me. Even though I'm a sinner, you died for me. You can do that in your heart, in your mind. You don't have to do some magic prayer where I'll lead you through it one by one. In your own mind, in your own heart, you can make peace with God today. Because God's already at peace with what you've done. You just need to come to Him. Now for those of us who know Jesus Christ, right? this story should lead us to live an optimistic, hopeful life. To not live defeated lives. You know, sometimes whenever I'm pretty cruddy, and that happens occasionally, weekly, um, right? But, but sometimes whenever I'm, I'm markedly worse than I know I should be. When I struggle in ways that I know I shouldn't struggle. When I'm, when I'm not the husband I should be, when I'm not the father I should be, when I'm not the pastor I should be, when I'm not the friend that I should be. I feel pretty pretty bad about myself. Right? And that's conviction of the Holy Spirit drawing me out. But you know, the truth is after that kind of conviction moment passes, we need to let that stuff go. And we need to fall into the grace of Jesus Christ. And some of you need to stop carrying down some of the burdens that you've had your whole life. Stupid things you did when you were 15 years old that you're still carrying today at 85. Things you did six years ago, relationships that you busted up because you were careless. You were hurtful. You were wrong. You need, to, you need to cry out for forgiveness, and then you need to let that stuff go. Guys, uh, that stuff that we hold on to, that's not, that's not godly to hold on to our guilt when Jesus Christ has already bore the guilt for us. That's pride, saying, I deserve to feel this. I deserve I did it. I deserve it. When you did it. You deserve it. But Jesus took it, so you need to let it go. And some of you need to be on the other side of that, and you need to let some things go from some people who've done you wrong. I don't doubt that every person in this room has been wronged by someone seriously in their life. And if you were to sit down and tell me your story, I might get angry at them and want to go fight them for you, okay? So, like, I understand that. But the grace that you've received from Jesus Christ, it would be hypocritical not to offer that same grace to the person who wronged you. It's not easy. It's not simple. But if you've been forgiven, you should forgive. And if you know that God's wrath should be poured out on you because you're a wicked, wicked sinner, and you are, maybe, maybe you should relent on your wrath a little bit and just give people the grace that you've already received from Jesus Christ. Guys, I wish the church was a place of grace. Grace. We are so forgiven, we're so accepted by God, and then we can be so legalistically law-oriented. And Guys, that is ugly. It's ugly when I do it, it's uglier when you do it. Guys, let's be grace people. God has been gracious to us. Be gracious to others. If you need to accept Jesus Christ, today's a good day to do it. We're going to have an invitation in just a minute. You just need to, to ask God to let you put that stuff down that you've been carrying your own personal guilt and shame. Just know you're forgiven if you've cried out to God. And if you're holding on to other people's guilt and holding it over their head because they did you wrong, maybe it was a business thing, maybe it was a family issue, I don't know, we all struggle. want you to let that stuff go. You will be healthier if you let it go. Let me pray for us.